Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Hi, friends. Father Frank Pavone here, National Director of Priests for Life. Welcome to Praying for America. Well, we are getting into a very holy time of year for Christians, the time when we are getting close to Easter and remembering the passion and death of our Lord. Uh, Good Friday is just a week from this Friday. And many, many celebrations, as you know, take place to help us recall and enter into these events by which we are saved. This is important for a consideration of a program like ours, Praying for America, because not only are we as individuals immersed in the events of the saving death and resurrection of Christ, but so are we as a nation. So what I want to do in, in, in coming programs is in our scriptures and in our reflections, go back to these narratives in the Bible of the passion of Christ and see the lessons that they bring us and the encouragement that they bring us in the midst of a time of such confusion and devastation as we have now in our nation and in our world. At the same time, I want to share with you a little bit today from a memo I got from a key conservative leader who gives us some interesting reflections about the primary elections, which we are now in the midst of the primaries uh, for elections of 2022, and some important considerations about the way we, the kind of candidates we need to be looking for and the way we need to be uh, supporting them. So let's begin with the scriptures and with prayer and uh, then go into uh, our reflections. And we want to pray for you, of course. Uh, That's a given. We uh, always want to invite you to leave your prayer intentions in the comments. Let us know how we can pray for you. And as people see the comments, as they're watching us, we can all pray for one another. So John chapter 18 is where I'd like to start uh, here tonight. And uh, we read about the arrest of Jesus in the garden. When he had said this, Jesus went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley. There was a garden there, which he and his disciples entered. Judas, his betrayer, also knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas got a band of soldiers and guards from the chief priests and the Pharisees and went there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, knowing everything that was going to happen to him, went out and said to them, Whom are you looking for? They answered him, Jesus, the Nazarene. He said to them, I am. Judas, his betrayer, was also with them. When he said to them, I am, they turned away and fell to the ground. So he again asked them, Whom are you looking for? They said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am. So if you are looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill what he had said. I have not lost any of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its scabbard. Shall I not drink the cup 
that the Father gave me. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you were in control there in the garden. And although the soldiers had come to arrest you, you arrested them. And you declared yourself to be the great God, the great Savior, the great I Am. You are the Lord. Lord Jesus, be with us and be with our nation. In times when so many want to betray you, arrest you, lead you off to crucifixion, give us the grace to be faithful as individuals, as families, as churches, and as a country. Because we know, Lord God, the faith of our fathers and the faith of our founders and the way they were rooted in you. Keep us rooted in you as well, Lord Jesus, and ever grateful that you have shed your blood for us. As we approach these sacred days when the church throughout the world commemorates and remembers your crucifixion, when we go to the cross and remember Calvary and let that blood that you shed for us fall upon us anew, give us your protection. Give us the protection of that blood. Let the protection of that blood flow throughout our land as some people try to destroy it. But let us remain faithful to you, always preserving the good you have given us. We ask this of you, Lord Jesus, the only Lord, the only Savior, the only hope of humanity, you who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. You know, that is a fascinating passage, isn't it? Jesus arrests the soldiers with a word. He says, I am. And they fell to the ground. Now, they're the ones that had the lanterns, the torches, the weapons. Jesus was unarmed. And yet they're the ones that fell to the ground. Because of what? Jesus didn't push them. Jesus didn't point a gun at them. Jesus just spoke. He's God. His word made the world. His word judges the world. His word raises the dead. His word from the seat of judgment separates the sheep from the goats and puts those who will have the inher eternal inheritance of the kingdom into that eternal happiness and leaves those who lose that inheritance by their own sin and lack of repentance into the eternal darkness where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. I am. This is the word. This is the name Yahweh. This is the name given, revealed, we should say, to Moses at the burning bush. When Moses was at the burning bush and God appeared to him in this miraculous sight, let me see why the bush, though on fire, is not consumed. And God was calling him at that moment to set his people free. Moses said, well, if I go to the people and I tell them that you sent me, if they ask what is his name, what should I tell them? And God said, I am. You see in some translations of the scriptures, as in the one I have here in front of me, that those words, I am, are all in caps. This is the name of God. 
Jesus is claiming divinity there, just as he is about to be arrested. Just as he is about to be led away in captivity, he is declaring that he is the one in charge. It's a fascinating passage. And you can look at it also from the point of view of what does he, what is he asking in this question? Whom are you looking for? There are two levels to that question. One is, you're here in the garden with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Who are you looking for right here in this immediate physical circumstance? But it's a question also that probes their hearts, isn't it? The word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, probing and dividing the hearts, the, the heart and its intentions and its thoughts, bone from marrow. Whom are you looking for? In other words, why are you doing what you're doing? Where is your loyalty? What are you trying to accomplish? Where is your fear of God? Do you know who the true God is? Whom are you looking for? The Lord Jesus asks a question here that defines this whole circumstance of what's about to unfold over the next 48 hour to 72 hours whom are you looking for are you looking for the one who was pierced for your offenses crushed for your sins and by whose wounds you are healed or are you looking for barabbas are you looking for judas whom are you looking for? In whose company do you want to be? This is the piercing question that defines the rest of the events of these holy days because when Jesus is crucified, he said, when I am lifted up from the earth, then you will know that I am. You will know who the true judge of the world is, who the true God and Lord is. Because you will see manifested in a brand new way the love of God. By his death, death is conquered. By his shed blood, our sins are forgiven. By him going into the tomb, we rise from the tomb. You will know that I am. Because remember, the name of God, I am, was revealed to Moses in a situation where God was declaring himself the Savior, the one who is for the people. So when he says, I am, it's not going to some kind of abstract philosophical statement. He's saying, I am for you. I am with you. I am rescuing you. I am lifting you up. I am protecting you from your enemies. I am. And that's the sense in which he's saying it here too. It's also the sense in which he says it in the prophecy of Isaiah. You go to Isaiah 45, he says, I am the Lord, there is no other. There is no just and saving God but me. And in that context, the saving was the saving of his people from exile in Babylon. He was taking them back into their own land, back to Jerusalem, back to rebuild the temple after 70 years of exile. 6th century B.C. And now it's a context of salvation again because now this I am, this God-made flesh is about to save us from our sins.
He's about to go to the cross willingly. He's in charge. Remember when he said in John chapter 10, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down freely. I have the power to lay it down and the power to take it up again. This command I received from my father. He's about to show us his love by freely giving his life for us and thus rescuing us from sin. We could not do that ourselves. And so I am, I am here with you, for you, rescuing you, saving you. So whom are you looking for? Are you looking for a savior? Or do you think you can do it yourself? Are you looking for the one who can save you from your sins? Or do you want to stay in those sins? Whom are you looking for? Well, I hope that these holy days that we're approaching are days when that question is again ringing in your mind and heart and its answer is ringing even more loudly. I am looking for Jesus. I am looking for the Savior, not just a Savior. I'm looking for the, 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 the definitive savior of the world. And the savior of the world is the savior of America as well. Remember at Christmas time when President Trump visited uh, the church of his friend and our friend, we've had him here on this program, Pastor Robert Jeffries in, uh, in uh, Dallas. And uh, President Trump said, yeah, you know, America needs a savior and America has a savior. And it isn't me, it's somebody much, much higher. The Lord Jesus Christ saves us by his blood. We're celebrating those events in these days. And boy, is it a wonderful time to renew our love for America in the process of this. Our loyalty is to the kingdom of God. But the beautiful thing about our country is our founders acknowledge that kingdom, place themselves squarely under its kingship, and said, the only way we can govern ourselves is if we know religion and morality, if we know the Christian gospel, sure, they establish freedom of religion. There's no such thing here as a desire to force people by the law to profess any particular faith, but rather to protect by law their freedom to search for, embrace, and live out the faith. Beautiful. It's beautiful. Well, let me go to this memo that I got uh, just today, as a matter of fact. I get these memos as a, a, one of the founders of the conservative uh, movement is Richard Vigory. Some of you may know of him, and he was a key pioneer in direct mail and still to this day is actively helping people to uh, accomplish their missions by way of direct mail. You want to spread a message to people. You want to build up volunteers, supporters. You, you, you mail them. You use the good old-fashioned postal service and get the mail out. And he points out that the left is multiplying its various advocacy groups. Uh, let me see if I can find here his... Uh, he's got a lot of statistics and he's got his finger on the pulse of... Uh, of these various things. Um, and he says, uh, he says, you know, he says, we, you know, in the conservative movement, we've got a lot of uh, different groups and uh, uh, organizations and ministries. He said, but the left, they seem to have even more. Um, he, he says the left's nonprofit groups, okay, that they fund for all kinds of wacky causes, 
we would say they're immoral and destructive causes, they yearly raise about $20 billion from over 20 million donors. $20 billion from over 20 million donors. These are all these nonprofit organizations on the left. Conservatives, he points out, from the 1960s to the 1980s, dominated grassroots marketing. But he says now the left dominates it. And they have bold initiatives. They're aggressive. They use professional marketing. And he calls on us who are conservatives to get back into that fray more strongly and with courageous leadership to be entrepreneurs, to take bold steps and bold risks is crucially important. Crucially important, especially in an election year, where he points out another fact in this memo, that in order to get political control back when the country is in a serious decline and on a serious wrong track, as almost three quarters of the country now believes that we are on the wrong track. I don't know what the other 25%, what kind of drugs they might be taking, but it's not, you know, it doesn't make any, any, any logical sense to think that somehow we're on the right track in America. But, uh, you know, fortunately, there aren't, there aren't all that many who think that way. But the point is, what do you do to, 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 to restore momentum in the other direction? Well, you got to get people angry. I mean, people have to be angry because things need to decline so quickly and so dramatically and so visibly and palpably that people say, well, I, I, first of all, I'm angry that this is happening. I'm angry at those who are making it happen. And anger, remember, we've talked about this on this program. Anger is energy. It's not either good or bad in and of itself. It depends how you direct it and whether you're directing it or it's directing you. Because if it's directing you, you can get yourself into a lot of trouble and you can hurt yourself and others. You don't want to do that. You want to take the energy, submit it to the Holy Spirit and let God guide you to some good productive activity. And you know, I, I, when I listen to President Trump's rallies, and I hope you heard the rally last Saturday, and I hope you're going to I have on your calendar uh, to watch his rally this coming Saturday, 7 p.m. Eastern time, right here on Right Side Broadcasting and, and Preach for Life. Uh, it strikes me when I listen to his speeches that he's saying this very same thing. He's saying this very same thing, that, that we are angry, rightly so. We are distressed, rightly so. You know, how often do you hear him say, they're destroying our country, they're destroying our country. We have to have a deep sense of that. But that doesn't lead to despair. That doesn't lead to discouragement. That leads to action, serious action. And this, of course, is action that the president is calling us to, and action to mobilize voters in the, what Mr. Vigory uh, identifies, as 519,682 political positions throughout the 50 states that will be filled by our elections. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of races. Ha over half a million races. My goodness, there's a lot of work to be done in elections. One of the things of this memo that he's pointing out 
is that while the election of a Republican is certainly better than the election of a Democrat simply because of the policies and philosophies that the respective parties and their candidates embrace. Nevertheless, we can't just be content that it's a Republican who's on the ticket. We've got to make sure the best possible Republicans are on the ticket. And I'm not saying best in any one narrow sense of the word, but best all around so that they can actually get elected and actually do the job that they need to do when elected. And so he talks about something that I know that, 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 that you are deeply concerned about, and as am I, and that is getting rhinos out of office. And we have some that are very, very prominent, uh, but we have a lot of others that are not as well known. But they're not getting the job done because they are too comfortable in public office. It's too much of a career. And, you know, if you settle in and you're too comfortable and it's too much of a career and it's too much of a given, you might not be inclined to fight as hard. It's not just a matter of taking the right positions. It's a matter of stopping the fear and the overcautiousness and the overcalculation. You know, we're sick of this in politics and we're sick of it in the church, too, whereby we can't get anything done because we're afraid of our own shadow. We're afraid of being canceled. We're afraid of the blowback. President Trump teaches candidates and he teaches Americans how to fight for what we believe in. Mr. Vigory has an interesting list here of 10 characteristics to look for in a candidate. First of all, is, is the candidate committed to building the conservative movement? Second, is the candidate a boat rocker? I like that. People are so afraid to rock the boat. Remember what they said about the early Christians? Read the Acts of the Apostles. These are the people who have turned the world upside down. Never mind the boat. It was the whole world, and they didn't just rock it. They turned it upside down. you got to stop being afraid. And you got to look for candidates who are not afraid. Not afraid to do the right thing and to fight in, against any obstacle that stands in the way of them doing the right thing. Third, someone who walks with conservatives, not with establishment Republicans. Who are you walking with? Who do you want to be with? Who do you spend your time with? Who do you understand? In the church, we, 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 we talk about having the, 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 for pastors, having the smell of the sheep on our clothing. In other words, we're with the people so much, literally rubbing elbows, that we feel what they feel, we think what they think, that we're one of them. And, they, you know, we're not over them. We're with them. So is this a candidate that walks with conservatives instead of establishment Republicans? Is this someone who is well-read on conservative philosophy? Ask them. Ask them, ask them what, what their favorite books are. Ask them what kind of reading has informed their, uh, their political world, their political philosophy. Number five, we'll put the Constitution and conservative principles above the desire and pressure of Republican leaders. That's a fascinating and interesting point as well. Where's your, where's your guidance going to come from? 
like in the Constitution, conservative principles, or what some leader is telling you, some party leader is telling you. We'll work to replace establishment Republican leaders at the local, state, and federal level with principled conservatives. Now, number seven, has a personal record of achievement commensurate with the level of the office being sought. What have you achieved in the arena where you want to be elected to do your work? Have you done that kind of work before? Have you achieved anything? Is there any evidence that you're going to be, well, like President Trump was, uh, just extremely productive in his particular office, which was, of course, the presidency. Is he above reproach in business and professional life, personal life? That doesn't mean perfect. That means there's integrity. If they're a candidate of the U.S. House, are they committed to becoming a member of the Freedom Caucus? Good question to ask, right? And finally, don't make the perfect the enemy of the good. Select the best person available. Available. Not the best person in theoretically, but the best person available. Don't compare what you've got to what you might have. Compare what you've got to what you've got when there are actual people coming forward saying, that they're going to run. And then, of course, one of the other points here, and I'll leave you with this, is to consider running yourself. Be the leader that you're looking for. Maybe in your particular, uh, it could be school board, it could be city council, it could be mayor, it could be, could be a higher office. There seems to be no one coming forth. Now, filing dates are quickly coming upon us in this election. This is all about the primaries now, getting the right candidates onto the ballot in the first place. If you're not finding anybody who seems to be a good leader and you think you can do it yourself, if there's still time to file, if there's still time to put together a campaign, why not think about doing that too? My friends, that's a vocation. That's a calling. And I want to add my encouragement to what Mr. Vigory says here, consider doing it yourself. God may well be calling you to that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this nation. Thank you for the over half a million races that are taking place, positions that need to be filled throughout the 50 states. Lord, this is a, a, an amazing, overwhelming reality that we're facing right now. And we need your Holy Spirit to go into every nook and cranny of government and positions to be filled and work that has to be done. And, and every nook and cranny of our country, Lord, and bless the people, inspire and, and raise up the people who can get the job done, Lord, who can get the job done. And Lord, if that person is, is us, let us see that. Let us know that. Let us hear your voice. And let us have the courage to say yes. And we pray now all our intentions, drawing together also those that have been placed in the comments for the personal needs of our viewers in saying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power 
and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you for joining me. Join me again as the week goes on. Spread the word to others about this program and connect with me on social media, my friends. At FR Frank Pavone, you will see the the address right there on the screen at FR Frank Pavone on all the social media platforms and follow Right Side Broadcasting too. I know many of you already do at RSB Network. And let's connect again soon. God bless you all. Follow him, Father Frank Pavone, F.R. Frank Pavone, on Twitter. He is the National Director of Priests for Life. Please go to priestsforlife.org. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.